Good morning, everyone. Friends, our first reading from Job is very, very familiar uh, to Christians throughout the world. And um, the story of Job, um, people think the answer to suffering is there, but that's not what the story of Job tells us. The story of Job, uh, the first thing it asks is uh, what Job asks. I am a good person. Why am I suffering? And uh, in the beginning of the story, uh, as we heard from this reading, he takes a very pessimistic view of the world and of life. He becomes greatly saddened by it, and uh, uh, he's upset. And uh, in the beginning of the story, this is how it is, but by the end, something has changed. God does not give him the answers he wants about suffering, but what he did do is transform him. Job becomes a man of great faith. He actually has a relationship with God, and that changes everything. St. Paul, in our second reading, says, As an apostle, I try to be everything to everybody. Whew, that's tiring and exhausting <laughs> from my perspective. Uh, but he says, For the sake of the gospel, to win over souls, this is what I'll do. And uh, I think that's incredible. Our gospel also has a, a theme about suffering and healing. And uh, my friends, uh, the question of human suffering, especially that of the just or the good, uh, obviously is a problem in the scriptures and a challenge. And uh, as illustrated by the story of Job, uh, Job, the story tells us, is a just person who suffered great tragedies. And uh, this resulted, as I opened with, this gloomy outlook on life. And my friends, uh, of course, you know, we live in the world today. Suffering is still a challenge for all of us. And many people uh, today can identify with Job. I think about all the types of suffering that there is. Uh, poverty and hunger and sickness, injustice, oppression, and tragedies of all kinds. In Old Testament times, suffering was seen as a punishment from God for sin. And this is kind of what Job, the story of Job is getting at, but certainly Jesus has come to refute that mentality. What was Jesus' answer to the problem of suffering? Well, he certainly did not um, acquiesce to the understanding of the people of his time in this matter. God does not desire human suffering. God desires goodness for people. And what we see in the gospel is not so much an answer. Jesus doesn't answer the question as to why there is suffering. Jesus' response is to actual suffering. He enters into it. The response was a very practical one, as we see from the gospel. Jesus is surrounded by crowds of people who are physically and emotionally and spiritually ill. And he gives himself to each one of them. He healed many of them. And Jesus does not attempt to insulate himself against human pain and suffering. He actually enters into it. He made himself very vulnerable before the wounded and those who are ill. And my friends, one of the things we can all gather about suffering is that it can be a very lonely condition for the person who suffers. 
Jesus was not sentimental about suffering. Nor did he preach resignation as you often hear from preachers. I was one of those. I don't preach that way anymore. And you will never hear me say, just offer it up to God. We pray, but you're not going to hear that from me. Our Lord did not like to see people suffer. Suffering was one of the evils he came to fight. He had compassion on sufferers and made many of them around him well. He cast out many types of demons. He actually cast out real ones. But also, remember, in their time, they thought if you were sick, it was because you sinned or because you had a demon. So Jesus dealt with those emotional ones also. He cast out, using our phrase, the demons of guilt and fear and shame and despair that also kept people enslaved. He taught us that God did not send it to punish. As a matter of fact, he did not send the suffering at all. But it is our world which is imperfect and broken at times. The problem of suffering became for Jesus an opportunity to show what the Father was like. By the way, he gave himself to those who suffered. He reveals to us the compassion in the face of human suffering. So, my friends, then it must be for us disciples that suffering becomes an opportunity for us also. We may not be able to cure anyone, but we always have the power to care, which is healing. And to care, that can be a very healing thing. To be with the sufferer is in itself a worthwhile thing. It is ministry, but it is no easy thing to be with the one who suffers because you must make yourself vulnerable also. You must look into the face of the one who suffers. We have to come to the notion that we may not be able to relieve the physical suffering of the person, but there is much that we can do for the sufferer. And my friends, um, sometimes people, uh, they're afraid. Their loved ones, their friends are suffering, and uh, they don't mean to run away from them, but they're terrified of the suffering. And so it appears that they turn their back because of fear. So my friends, at some level, we must be prepared to share in the suffering of our friends and loved ones. Empathy. I suppose is another way to put it. Most of us will come to sufferers with empty hands. So what can we do for them? We can use those empty hands then to comfort. Perhaps what many of those who suffer ask is that we do not abandon them and walk away from them. Christians must do what Mary did at the cross. We must stand like she did. She stood at the cross while her son suffered on it. And she stood and she stayed present to him. 
simply to be there and to be present oftentimes is a remedy. And sometimes that is one of the hardest things to do is to be there as that one suffers. Sometimes the one thing that sufferers long for is to experience care and love and to know that somebody is with them. As regards to our own personal suffering, suffering is an unavoidable element of the human condition. You are not going to be able to live in this world and not experience it. You will. To not experience it is to not have a fully human life. For the faithful Christian, it comes as great comfort to know that Christ himself entered into our human suffering. He walked that road of suffering and went down it to the end. Because of his suffering, things changed physically, perhaps. Something spiritually changed. When we connect our suffering to Christ's suffering, it has redemptive value. It purges. It strengthens. It becomes sacred and holy. No longer then is suffering done in vain, but has great meaning. A bright light now illumines it. Our Lord shows us that though the road of suffering leads to Calvary, it does not end there. It ends with the Easter event. For Christian suffering, which is eventually unavoidable, becomes an opportunity to share in Christ's passion. But it also allows us to enter into that hope of sharing the Easter victory with him. My friends, there's a line in our gospel that sometimes is overlooked. It says, and Jesus approached her and grasped her hand and in English it says, and helped her up. I want to tell you what that means. Jesus approached her. The disciples, as Deacon and I were talking last night, the disciples, all they do is tell Jesus, Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. That's all they do. And I'm making fun of them. That's all they do. And I think Jesus already knew. He was waiting to see what they were going to do. They told him, she's sick. So Jesus leaves all the others. He's surrounded. He goes and focuses on her. All he could see was her in that moment. He went to her. He entered into her suffering. And my friends, this is important and key because he enters in. He comes to us. Sometimes in suffering, uh, we don't know what to do. and We seem distant. So he comes to us the way he does to Simon. It's Peter's mother-in-law. And my friends, this is key in our understanding. And uh, he focused just on her. Our trials. He focuses on us, and he enters in and walks with us. And this leads me to the second piece. Jesus grasps her hand. Now, when you read it just like that, it seems like, oh, that's very nice. There is more going on. It is Old Testament scripture. 
You can find it in Psalm 37. The grasping of the hand there explains it is a symbol and a reality of God's power. He takes your hand. He took her hand and held it and squeezed it. Not only was it power, but it showed the compassion of God. Psalm 37, read it. You'll find it there. He takes her by the hand. The other piece about that is, and parents know this, children, when you grab their hand, they may attempt to run in front of you, <laughs> but a lot of times you pull them to the back. You lead them. Jesus is said to have grabbed her hand so that he could lead her through what was happening. He would eventually take her through what was going to happen. And being a former, you know, for those who know me, I had cancer twice, so I know about this. We get focused on the illness. So much we're blinded, we can't see anything but that. When he takes you by the hand, he will lead you through that, out of it. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, emotionally, he will get you out of the paralyzed position you're in. He will lead you out of it. And then finally, in English, it doesn't make as much sense, but it says Jesus helped her up. But in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it's not he helped her up. He raised her up. It is a foreshadowing of the resurrection. Now, in the scriptures, Jesus healed her. She got up and she went and made lunch. I had one person tell me that's a terrible characterization of women, that they have to serve men. And I'm like, that's what you got from that gospel. I said, oh, my dear, it's so much more than that. She raises, she, she has fullness of life. She's full of energy and she goes and she cooks and makes food for somebody. But it means so much more. The resurrection, life, eternal you will have fullness partially here, but in the resurrected life. So that scripture, he helps her up, he raises her up. Want me to get that? Is that your sippy cup? <laughs> Can Father have a sippy? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so my friends, when we look at this, we see this sometimes just being present. My friends, this gives me an opportunity to, I want to talk with you quickly about the sacrament of anointing. We have seven sacraments in our church. The sacrament of initiation, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. The sacrament of service, ordained ministry, and marriage. Isn't that fun? All you married people. <laughs> and then there's two others. The sacrament of of reconciliation, confession, the sacrament of anointing. Because the scriptures were about healing, I want to talk to you about the sacrament of anointing. The sacrament of anointing is administered to a Catholic by a bishop or priest because of the forgiveness of sins that comes from it so that sin is moved away and grace can be poured upon the person, that they may experience physically and emotionally and spiritually healing. All three, maybe one of them, absolutely spiritually because it's a sacrament, the priest or bishop cannot anoint someone who has died. We can pray for them, but we can't anoint them. 
So do not wait until the nurse says your loved one is actively dying because the priest may not be able to make it there. Not at this parish, but at another one. They called. They're dying right now. I will try and get there as fast as possible. And when I asked why did they wait so long, well, we knew if you came, she would die. And I'm like, I am not the angel of death. <laughs> I mean, so you waited because you're afraid? <laughs> and often what I find is the person who's seriously ill and dying is the caregiver of the ones who are fully alive. <laughs> They're comforting them. You're supposed to be comforting your loved one. Pull it together. Get hold of yourself. I usually have to anoint them, too, because they're so emotionally drained. And I get it. I get it. Please, don't wait that long. There was a time for our older ones, we knew this as an extreme unction or last rites. Now it's for anyone who is seriously ill, those who are suffering mentally, spiritually, can be anointed. Those uh, who have appending surgeries, uh, and yes, those who are dying, but please do not wait because the priest may not be available. And then you will walk for days and months with the woulda, shoulda, could be's. I should have called earlier. I would have. Huh? So my friends, um, and this is for our parishioners. Uh, for those who are visiting, you have to listen to this. Uh, my friends, our parish our parish, in my nine years here, and this is not an I thing, this is a we thing. I got that from the pizza commercial for Papa Murphy's. When he, the, the child talks to the dad, this is not an I thing, dad, it's a we thing. And so I'm telling you, this is not an I thing, this is a we thing. This parish has changed, and I couldn't see it, and I wasn't putting the pieces together, and so I prayed about this. But our parish has become a healing parish. I have never anointed so many people as I have at this parish. And I get calls from Seattle and Olympia. That has, that's not my territory. <laughs> we have people who seek out our parish. This parish, which was broken 10 years ago because of suffering, because of the priests that were short-term and all those things, the people who have been there know this. We have now been transformed into a parish that heals because we were broken. And the validation came when I saw the anointings. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't see it. But then more came. Our parish, and this is validation and about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have four people considering religious life and ordination to the clergy. Four. Two of which have just arrived. I wasn't putting it together because sometimes your pastor is slow. <laughs> but the pieces were beginning to come together. These four have been delivered to our hands to this parish to care for them and to nurture them and to help them. In addition, we have what we call deliverance ministry. It is where you send people who uh, might have uh, spiritual demons, real ones. Two have been sent to the archbishop 
to be reviewed. That is a ministry of healing. They didn't belong to this parish. They came here. This is about you guys. Your prayers, your faith, and our moving. This is validation from the Holy Spirit. We've got to be doing something right. And this is good for me because as a pastor, I wonder if I've done anything at all. But this is not an I. It's a we. We have been transformed. And the Holy Spirit is validating it. And this is a nod from God, especially with those vocations. That is an amazing thing for a parish to have. And that is just the ones I know about. And then all those who have been ill and have been healed. And this is also a place where I've never done so many funerals before. But that also uh, is a healing thing. Again, I believe this is all from God as confirmation that we are getting it. We're not perfect, but we are getting it right. So we continue.